the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. It is recorded in the book of John that Jesus once said, If he is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension are all linked to this glorious exaltation, and it is a call made to the entire world. No class, social status, race, or gender is excluded from this declaration. That is why we lift up the name of Jesus on this program every day. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Every week you come to church, we study part of God's Word. And the idea of this series is that if you knew you only had one month to live, how differently would you live your life? Last week, we mentioned that one thing is for sure. If you knew you only had a few weeks left on this earth, you would have total clarity of what matters most in life your relationships with your loved ones with your friends with your church most importantly with your god and with your savior the lord jesus christ nothing else would matter to you and last week the major point was that we should love deeply and love completely amen Amen. here's the second point this might surprise you when you write this down but if you only had a few weeks left to live here's what you would do is you would learn humbly that's the word humbly There is a phrase that is often spoken at a funeral. And the phrase goes, from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. When faced with this truth and this reality that life is indeed short, one would be wise to spend whatever time you had left on this earth to walk humbly, to live humbly, to speak humbly. To learn humbly before an almighty and all-knowing God who will one day, as the Bible declares, judge the living and the dead. 1995, scientists pointed the Hubble Space Telescope into an empty space about the size of a grain of sand. They wanted to test the clarity and the range of this telescope. They were shocked when the pictures came back because they discovered that that little patch of empty space wasn't empty at all. It revealed over 1,000 previous unknown galaxies. But scientists now believe that there are over 200 billion galaxies like the Milky Way in the universe, each one containing billions of stars. And when you look at the complexities of creation in the heavens and even here on Earth, it points to an intelligent designer. And the more you study science and biology and neurology and kinesiology and geology and anything else that ends in (laughs) O-G-Y, 
the more I am convinced that there must be a creator. Edwin Conklin, a professor of biology at Princeton University, he said these words, that the probability of life originating from an accident is comparable to the probability of a dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing factory. (laughs) Carrie Shook said that when we see the intricacy and the beauty and the efficiency of creation, we know that it couldn't have occurred by random circumstances. There must be a creator. Ironically, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in God. Amen? Now, if there is no creator... If there is no such thing as God, that means that all of us are here by accident. And if that's true, then go ahead, live as you please. Live it up, no morals, no guidelines, no consequences. There is no God, we're here by accident. But if there is a creator, and if there is a God, it means that we're not here by accident, We don't live for ourselves, but we would live for our Creator. You don't run around here thinking that you're God because He is God. You don't run around here thinking that you're in charge because He is in charge. And if we see Him for who He is, then we will see ourselves for who we are. As humble servants placed on this earth to serve at His pleasure, to follow His voice, to do His will, to walk in His footsteps, and to obey his commands. My wife and I are just in love with our little grandson. We have been marveling in this first year of his life at his development and the sacredness of his life. Now, all grandbabies are cute, I'm telling you. And uh, my wife and I were just talking about the love that this child gets. And we start, started thinking about all the other babies in the world that never get any love. They come into the world and they never get any attention. They come into the world and nobody really cares for them. Boy, this boy. We just started thinking about the other children. And then we started thinking about all the babies that have been aborted. And my wife, we were just talking, just her and I, the privacy of our home, and she said these words. She said, you know, I kind of understand if you did not believe that there's a God and you don't believe in intelligent design and you don't believe that God was the one who created us in his image. If you don't, if you have no faith in God, she said, I kind of, I kind of believe I can, I can understand how you could reach a point where you would think that abortion was okay. But if she said, if you believe that there's a God and you call yourself a Christian and you understand that we are created in the image of God, that he was the one that created us. How could you ever believe that the taking of another life would be okay? And my point I want to make to you, isn't that true with any sin and every sin? It boils down that you think that you're in charge and that we determine what's right and what's wrong and we determine what's moral and what's not moral. And all of that, all of that, all of sin is basically pride. Thinking that we're in charge, which is the opposite of humility. So I say to you, go ahead, if you don't believe that there's a God, if you think there's no such thing as God, 
Go ahead and make up all your rules and live however you want to live. But when reality happens and you understand that you only have a few short days left on this earth and that death is inevitable, you will begin to wish that you had lived humbly and had submitted and served a holy and a powerful God while you walked on the face of this earth. Everybody say context. The guy that wrote this is a guy named Paul, and he's in a Roman prison. He was in prison. He's now under house arrest, but he's chained to a Roman guard, the guy that wrote this. So he's in Rome, and he's writing this letter to a group of people, write this down, in a church that's 800 miles away. And one of the reasons that he's writing, we looked at this last week, is because he loves them. And when you love someone, you tell them the truth about life in God. He doesn't know how many more opportunities he's going to have to communicate, so what he tells this church are some very, very important things. Now, knowing that we have much to learn in this short journey called life, let's look at four things that Paul wrote that were critical for them to remember. Number one, write this down. He says, let nothing divide you. Let nothing divide you. Whether you have four weeks left or four decades left, we must be open to learn whatever lesson God is trying to teach us. And one of the most critical lessons for any church is staying united as Christians and realizing that we are all family here today. Now, it's normal that there will always be things and people and circumstances that will cause or lead us to be divided, but we should strive for unity. One of the greatest reasons, you may or may not know this, but one of the greatest reasons why God has blessed this church right here that you're sitting in is that we've had very few flare-ups where we did not have unity in this church. And whenever disunity arises, we deal with it quickly. Just want you to know that. So go ahead and try it. (laughs) I want you to look at what he writes in chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, how many of you are united with Christ? You're one with Christ. You are are saved, all right? What he says here in verse 1, if you've ever been encouraged just because you're united with Christ, If you have any comfort from his love, if you've ever been blessed by the love of God, if you have any fellowship with his spirit, if you've got any any tenderness in you, if you have any compassion in you, then, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in what? Purpose. Now, the early church began, again, history began under Rome's domination of the world. And so the early church was always under intense, fierce pressure from a pagan society. There was always a variety of social and political conflicts the church was going through. No wonder Paul begins chapter 2 by telling the early church, hey, if you want to make me happy, Here's the one thing you need to be. You need to be united, like-minded, having the same love, same spirit, same purpose. The question is why. Why is unity so important in a church? Primarily, if we as the church can't get along with each other, 
we become a laughingstock to the world that we're trying to reach. My fear, Paul's fear, and Jesus' fear is that the division that is in the country will somehow creep into the church. We know the Bible says in Revelation 7, verse 9, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a great multitude from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, and from every language. So the church here on earth, if I take a photograph, click, 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 if I take a photograph of the church, it should be a picture for people of what heaven is going to look like. It's one of the reasons why I like this church, because we are a racially diverse church, we are a generational diverse church, and when someone walks in here and they see all of you, they're getting a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. So just take a quick look on who's sitting on your row. And when you look over and you see that Asian person, and you see that African-American, and that Latino guy, and that that Middle Eastern person, and of course that Filipino person, and that Caucasian sitting there, you need to know that that's exactly what heaven's going to be like. And why is this so important? Well, here are the words of Jesus. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his Father, to God. And he prays for unity for the church. And he says these words in John 17, verse 23. His prayer, God, may they, he's talking about you, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you're the one who sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There is something about our ability to stay united when everyone else is divided that gives credibility and validity that Jesus Christ is real because who else could unite people like you? It must be Jesus Christ. And that's our testimony before the world that is so divided. Number two, write this down. He says that you and I should value all people, not just your people. Value all people's lives, not just your life. The Bible says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others as better than yourself. If you have a Bible, you should circle that put a star, an asterisk, highlight it. Verse 4 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, that's kind of normal, but also look to the interests of others. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said that life's most persistent and urgent question is this question, what are you doing for others? You only have so many days left on this earth. Your days are limited. 
That's a fact, Jack. And you can choose, do you want to spend your remaining days trying to impress people about how great you are, or do you want to spend the rest of your days on this earth leaving a lasting legacy of serving and caring for other people? You see, when you die, people are going to say one or two things at your funeral, at your funeral. Don't think about someone at your funeral. They're either going to say, that guy, that girl was the most selfish self-centered person i have ever met in my life or they're going to say that guy that girl spent their entire life on this earth doing nothing but serving people and trying to help those that were less fortunate this went through my mind this week as i was working on this anyone who gets to heaven if you get there any everyone in heaven no one in heaven ever says Man, I should have spent more time on earth talking about myself. <laughs> Everyone in heaven's going to get up there and go, oh, 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 I should have spent more time on that earth talking about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And you know what went through my little brain? People in hell are going to say the exact same thing. People in hell are going to go, I shouldn't have spent my life on that earth just for myself. They're going to think, I should have spent my life, whatever time I had, I should have spent on that earth talking about Jesus, the only one who can save people from a place like this. I want to show you that verse again. I just want you to leave it on the screen. Philippians 2, 3, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And 1 Corinthians 10, 24, seek the good of others. Those two verses, now the Bible's a big book, those two verses, if the whole world just lived by those two verses, we would heal the racial divide in this country overnight. We would solve the vitriol of our politics overnight. News would no longer exist because they'd have nothing to report. We could solve almost every marriage problem. We could get rid of just about every lawyer. And every counselor. And every prison. And you wouldn't even need a pastor. If we treated other people better than we treated ourselves. You ever been to the grocery store and all you went down there was with some milk and some bread? And you got down to pay for it and every line's got all these people and the 15 items or less is closed. And one guy's got this big old thing of groceries and he looks over at you and you give him that puppy dog look like I've only got two things. And he turns back and he says to you, you only got two items. Yeah. And he says to you what? Okay, go ahead. How does that make you feel? Have you ever seen a person in line with two items and turned to see a guy with a whole thing of cart and said, is that all yours? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I, I got you. Go ahead, man. You go ahead. Let me get behind you. You ever seen that ever? Have you ever seen that? Never. But you should treat people that way. 
And not only should you treat other people better, you should do it with a good attitude. What if the guy with the cart let you go through with your two items and the whole time you're up there, he's back there, what's wrong with this guy? Only come down here, buy two things. Why, why, is he, why is he coming right now? This is ridiculous. I'm standing back here while he's playing. What kind of a person goes to the store and buys two items? I should have never let that guy. I should have never let that guy go in front of me. Now, does he get any credit? He did the right thing, but he's got the world's worst attitude. You remember the story of Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet? You remember that story? Here's what the Bible says in John 13. Look at these words. I've got to get through this quickly. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. When that meal started, the devil and Judas, they had already decided, this is the night I'm going to betray Jesus. Did Jesus know that that was going to happen? Before he washed Judas' feet, did he know? He did. Because verse 3 says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was getting ready to return to God. And then the Bible says... He got up from the mill, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after he had poured water into a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then there's a little conversation there with Peter, who's also going to deny Jesus that night three times. He's going to curse that he doesn't even know God before the rooster crows. And after Jesus washes all their feet, Here's what the Bible says in verse 14. He says, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you know what? You guys should wash each other's feet. Judas, you should wash Peter's feet. John, you should wash Judas's feet. Thomas, you should wash, you guys should, you, you guys should wash each other's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then he says in verse 17, now that you know these things, if you guys will do this, guess what will happen to you guys? Guess what will happen to you? You'll be blessed. Can you imagine Jesus getting down on his knees knowing as he's washing Judas' feet that Judas has already it's already been set in stone and yet he washes judas's feet my question to you is do you think he washed those feet with a bad attitude do you think he was going i can't believe i'm washing the feet of the guy that actually betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver why i've done nothing but take care of judas for three years now I'm washing his feet. What in the world am I thinking washing a guy's feet like this? And he sold me out for 30 pieces of silver. Couldn't he have got like 100 pieces of silver? I mean, what, what am I, chopped liver? <laughs> Did Jesus have a bad attitude when he was washing Judas's feet? No, he washed the feet of the person who's going to deny him, Peter, and he washed the feet of a man named Judas who was going to sell him out. And then he stood up and he said, you guys should do what I do, and if you'll do stuff like that, you'll be blessed. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. 
If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Wouldn't it be great if there were accessible answers to our spiritual problems? Just like there's a smartphone app for calculating a tip or getting directions to a local store. Most of us have heard the phrase, there's an app for that, popularized by the creators of the iPhone. Well, God has an app for the common problems faced by Christians everywhere. Are you stressed out? God has an app for that. Problem with crude language or gossip? Struggling with prejudice? Brokenhearted? Anxious? Or depressed? God has an app for that too. Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, is available now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This helpful resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get God Has an App for That on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at the same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.